I'm Tass Mellis of The Starters. This is Ben Golver with the Open Floor Podcast. Hi, I'm Christy Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff. I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. Hey, I'm Elena Donon, and welcome to the Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Double Clutch Podcast. I am Nick Whitfield, one of your regular hosts. I'm joined by a guest today, but before we get to our guest, we will get there eventually, I promise. I'd like to thank Captain Kirk, as always, for producing the show. Hello to you, Kirk. Hello, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, everyone. And yes, that is not a soundboard, that is Kirk's actual voice. If you've ever wondered what that sounds like, you have been really treated today. So, it's been a couple of weeks since the last show. I was uh, out in Egypt on holiday, uh, enjoying the 31, 32 degree weather while everyone uh, froze in the UK. Glad to be back, though. And we missed a lot of NBA news. So let's dive straight into Around the Association. So the last couple of weeks have been absolutely outstanding for NBA teams with names beginning with W. At the time of recording, the Wizards sit 10-3 and three atop the Eastern Conference with the summer additions of Carl Kuzma, Spencer Dinwiddie, Montrez Harrell, combined with Bradley Beal, looking particularly formidable at this early stage of the season. If you told me the quickest way for Bradley Beal to play for a franchise with a winning record was to stay in Washington at the end of last season, I would have laughed at you. This is perhaps the Wizards' greatest magic trick in in franchise history. There's rabbits out of a hat, but this is some next-level Hogwarts stuff. With contributors like Thomas Bryant and Rui Hachimura still to return from injury, this team will actually also be getting deeper, so stay tuned on the capital. The Warriors also made a real statement on Wednesday evening, beating one of the preseason favourites for the title in the Nets, uh, by 18 whole points, with Steph Curry receiving MVP chance from the Brooklyn crowd. Curry has been taking the social media buzz, but also very exciting for Warrior fans. This will be the performances of Draymond Green, who looks much closer to the Defensive Player of the Year level player that they kind of got used to in their glory days and in the past. So, with the success of teams beginning with W, I am right now launching a nationwide campaign to establish a new NBA franchise known only as the Whitfields. The Phoenix Suns, uh, in less positive news, are also in the middle of an outstanding run. That's not the uh, negative bit. Nine and one in the last 10 games. But as Chris Paul defies the entire concept of ageing, Devin Booker gets buckets for fun, and Aiton looks mu- looks. Very worthy indeed of the max contract that the Suns refused to give him. There's a lot going on behind the scenes in the Grand Canyon State. There's an ongoing investigation into Suns owner Robert, Sar- Robert Sarver and for alleged racism and misogyny. Whilst not wanting to delve too deeply into the topic until the investigation reaches a- an actual conclusion, there will also be a lot of eyes on how Adam, C- Adam Silver chooses to deal with this topic, having built a reputation as a very progressive commissioner. The story actually took another dark turn when three former Suns employees claimed to have received messages from Robert Sarver's wife that they considered as attempts to intimidate them. It goes without saying, uh, if I could just have... 30 seconds of seriousness, that Double Clutch condemns racism, misogyny, and all forms of discrimination. And it's just incredibly troubling 
that something like this can re-emerge as an issue in such a global and diverse league like the NBA. Um, and now on to another team uh, that isn't quite matching expectations, and that's the Lakers. Today it's been reported that the now iconic Staples Center is to, re- to be renamed Crypto.com Arena. Catchy. It's believed to be the largest US venue naming rights deal ever, and it's undoubtedly a terrible name. Uh, so, on to the podcast. And I'm joined tonight by um, someone whose last name excites me because uh, I get to describe him as Mr. Bean. This is Ben Bean. You must get that a lot, Ben. I do. And I have uh, sort of picked the worst career to go into. As I was talking about earlier, I am a, currently a training teacher. So, for the rest of my life, every single day, I will be referred to as Mr. Bean. Uh how does that work? Do the kids know who Mr. Bean is? Are they, is has that uh, still exist in kids' minds or are they just too young? They have no idea what that is. I don't think they know as much about the Rowan Atkinson. I think it's more... Although through. saying that, you're borderline too young to know about Mr. Bean. True. But um, I think it more lives through the cartoons that came out. Hmm. But like, I have had one particular student who... Will, every time he sees me in a corridor, he will walk behind me just singing the Mr. Bean theme song and believes it is hilarious. So, yeah. to be fair, that is, that's, yeah, that, I, well, I yeah, yeah, it's, that. It, yeah, it's, yeah, he enjoys it and that is the main thing. And I never take it too seriously. So, you are uh, a, a maths teacher. How does uh, maths overlap with your interest in basketball at all, if, if at all? It do, I, I sort of, take this view that there is two types of basketball fans out there. They are the hardcore player coach types and then they are the sort of stats nerds and I very much am one of those stats nerds. I love a good box score, love an advanced stat. Um, you know, I'm one of these people that does regularly check basketball reference for just what is sort of going on there. So I think that's possibly where my love of maths and sort of basketball do cross over. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and I, I'm going to mention this later, but just for, for reference, Ben's fancy team is currently undefeated in the double clutch uh, fancy league. So justifying his maths credentials potentially there. So talk to me a little bit. How did you get into basketball in the first place? We, we already talked um, before we went live. You're in Halifax. Uh, have you always lived there? Is that where you got into the game? Yes. So I am Halifax born and raised. Um I got into the game at secondary school. It was a friend of mine, um, Jack Hill. Um, he was basically just like, they went to a basketball club at lunchtime at secondary school. I didn't at the time. And I was just like, oh, where do you keep disappearing off to? And I said, oh, we'll go and play basketball. And that must have been when I was about 12 or 13. I started going along. Um, and then it just all sort of spiralled from there. You know, it would turn into one lunchtime week to two lunchtimes. Then it was morning clubs. And then, then I started sort of, looking for basketball highlights on the internet and then sort of goes into NBA. So I sort of picked it up then in secondary school, played a lot more in sort of sixth form and what I did then, and then sort of continued that into university, went to the University of Nottingham um, and played all three years there and sort of heavily got involved with their community side there. So that's sort of where my playing basketball journey sort of is. Are you playing now for anyone? Sadly not. Um, I sort of tried to start getting back into it just pre-pandemic um, and then sadly that shut everything down and then with me currently going through my teacher training life's a bit hectic at the moment but I'm hopefully that um, um, that hopefully that um, it, I'll get 
playing again as soon as sort of sort of life settles down and I'm not having to sort of become trained to become a teacher. That's taking most of my time at the moment. And what's the basketball scene like in Halifax? Is there like local teams and stuff that you're or, and local leagues, or does it drift towards the Manchester and Leeds, for example? So actually, Halifax, considering the size of it, does actually have a national league side, as they call the Explorers, um, which sort of, sort of do that. And there is some then sort of lot of sort of interest locally, generally, like down the local community centre, uh, and it's also getting quite big in schools. Called the Explorers this year are push, pushing a lot to really re-emphasise the Scottish School League's team and get the youth playing. So there's definitely a, a lot of love for it. Like a couple of schools have been so far, you know, you think basketball's a sort of a sort of smaller sport in this country, but then as soon as you get ball and kids' hands, they absolutely love it. And what I always find interesting as well with British basketball fans is, do you follow any other sports or is basketball like the one sport for you? So I'm... You know, I grew up playing football, so I do follow football. We'll go with my mates down to the pub to watch the occasional game. Don't really have a specific team as such. Um, so, I, you know, play a bit of football, occasionally do a bit of golf. Not very well, but that's my dad's main sport, so me and him often all play golf and then a bit of Formula 1. But for me, basketball is my bread and butter. It's wake up in the morning, check the NBA app for the night before, you know, fantasy leagues, sort of see how, you know, apps and phone, whereas the others are more sort of casual and sort of more talk pieces. And I said I was going to ask you about this and I actively didn't before we went live because I, I wanted to sound as interested as possible when we were live. I can see very cool stuff behind you. Uh, talk to me about the posters. Who can I see? LeBron? So we've got LeBron, Vince in the middle. And then, if I can move my head the right way, so we'll make it that way. We've got the Ernest himself, uh, Michael Jordan. Um, these were sort of a pandemic treat to myself when we was in lockdown and couldn't go anywhere. I thought, you know what, I'm going to brighten my room up a bit. Um, so I think they're by a British creator, uh, Double Dribble, um, and I bought them through um, Baseline Leeds. So there's some sort of independent basketball places if anyone's wanting to sort of shop more locally. And then, bam, to the right, of course. Oh, by the way got the um, classic uh, Vince Carter's there for my Raptors love and a Great Britain iced out personalised jersey with my number 55 on. Why did you choose 55 and is it Jason Williams? Um, no, it sort of, it was more by accident. It was more a case of five was my football number as a kid. I was, I was a centre-back, um, a classic lanky, just kick the ball centre-back. Um, <laughs> In my last year playing football, I joined a new team. They already had a centre-back who had 55, so I went, sort of stuck my um, bottom lip. I went, fine, if I can't have five, I will have 55. And it, it's just sort of stuck with me. So you mentioned, and um, it's uh, quite evident, you are a Raptors fan. And we've actually named this episode entirely after that. And I'm very pleased to be able to recite one of my favourite movie lines of all time. The episode of this episode is, hold on to your butts. We're, we're entering Jurassic Park. So let's talk about the Raptors. Uh, how did you become a Raptors fan? So I initially didn't start as a Raptors fan. Um, it was one of these things, friends at school, we all said, oh, well, let's, we all, we'll try and get more involved with the NBA. We'll all pick random teams. I ended up with the Denver Nuggets for a little bit. Um, but then as more I got into basketball and started trying to watch games, an East West Coast team didn't seem as appealing because of the times we were playing. So I was just more of a general NBA fan. And then thanks to sort of um, one of my favourite podcasts with the starters at the time, but now known as No Dunks, working for The Athletic, 
they are well, two of them are Canadians and they all lived in Canada for a time. And they're sort of sort of joy for the Raptors sort of became a bit infectious. And I think there's something about the Raptors being an international fan. They are the only international team in the NBA. They seem sort of more likable to attach onto them because it's almost like if ever London was to have a team, like it'd be kind of like being the Raptors, as it were. Yeah, it's really interesting as someone older, I think I'm 13 or so years older than you. And when I was first getting to the game, I did not know a single Raptors fan. And yet now I think there's actually like a considerable number of Raptors fans in the UK. Uh, I think as they've kind of bedded in, built a culture around that team, there's a definite like um, slightly different culture around the fans. And um, yeah, there's a lot to like about that franchise. So also, it was really interesting hearing what you're saying where you there was a period where you weren't a fan of a particular team. I actually had a similar thing where, although for like 99% of the time I've followed basketball, I've been a Knicks fan. When I first got into the game, I wasn't. I was just a fan of the league in general. And little known fact about me is my first jersey I ever owned was actually as an Olajuwon uh, Rockets jersey before I owned a Knicks jersey even. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's a common thing in this country as well where you don't necessarily have like a specific reason to attach yourself to like one team over another. So yeah, that's a very like British basketball fan experience, I think. So as a Raptors fan, it must've been crazy for you, the championship season. Talk to me a little bit about like what it was like going through that season. It was, well, well, to begin the season, it was weird. We got rid of our head coach. We then hired Nick Nurse, who let's be honest, unless you sort of were deep into your, BBL basketball or really, really sort of deep into your NBA basketball. No one really knew who Nick Nurse was. Like, so I, I'm going to stop you there. So I went to the University of Sussex and played for that team. And Nick Nurse at the time was the um, Brighton Bears head coach. So some of us are old enough to uh, yeah. remember him quite well. Maybe for me, yeah, he's more of an age thing that I don't uh, remember Nick Nurse around. So, so and especially Nick, and Dwayne Casey was coming off the back of being coach of the year. So it was very weird, that sort of that side of it. Then we get rid of DeMar. Yes, we get Kawhi Leonard in, which was a, was a great move. And then Danny Green as well, which was frankly just a steal. So there was a bit of positivity there, but it was like, Kawhi, is he here for one year? What's he going to do afterwards? Does he want to be here? Is he going to sort of almost pull a sickie and sit out the season? And then we start playing and the team starts playing well. And Kawhi's not playing I think it was back-to-backs to start with, but the team's still playing well and Pascal's taking another step and OG was doing quite well and the season's rolling and LeBron's gone out west so there's a bit of a gap in the east and it's just sort of the momentum built and then um, sadly we had to trade um, um, Valanciunas away but we got Mark Gasol in and then that sort of two-man centre rotation worked with him and Ibaka. And it, just, it was a really joyous season where you could just sort of feel the momentum building, and but we were never favourites. We were just always sort of like something might happen here, some, and then just we'd win another game, win the game, and then we'd go into the playoffs being like a really high seed, and then in typical Raptors fashion, lose game one to the Magic with for some reason. DJ Augustine turns into Michael Jordan and drops. I can't remember what he dropped, but it was a lot on us. And we're thinking, oh, here we go again, and then it just kept going and going and going, and then we're through to the final. And it was just incredible. But for me at the time, personally, I was lucky enough in my last year at university as part of the basketball team to go to Malaysia with them on this trip. So as the finals are going on, I am in Malaysia. 
So literally the week, uh, so the week prior before I head out to Malaysia, I'm literally googling, oh, what you know, what's the time difference between Malaysia and, you know, and America? What time the final game's going to be on? I'm going to be able to watch them. Is it going to be stupid late in the morning? And then, so it was just sort of this weird experience of like trying to, you know, watch the games and then I, you know, then do all the stuff that we're on the trip for, and then also. Um, like I said, the starters, I got into it, their show was being cancelled, but yet it was just such a joyous time. So for as a Raptors fan, and someone of the way I sort of got into being a Raptors fan, it was brilliant, because we, this was like, this is our moment. But they're just, for me personally, and also everything else, and then with the injuries as well, there was so much going on. It was just this weird haze of joy, and then weirdness, and then everything. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Just to uh, pick up on Mike Miller-Time's comment in the thing that there, there actually were no Toronto Raptors in the early 90s. Of course there weren't. But what I was more trying to highlight there is the interesting thing about Toronto where there's other teams where like the entire time I followed the NBA, there has I never meet fans of like the Kings or the Clippers, for example. But Toronto has actually like founded itself as an organization and become a very popular team in that same time period where those other franchises like still don't really have a big fan base in this country at least. So, yeah, I, I kind of get that bit of being a bit younger as why are there so many Orlando Magic fans? And I know it's because of Penny and Shaq in the 90s and that's where a lot of them sort of come from and gone through, but I'm sort of sat here as sort of a younger modern day NBA fan thinking Magic haven't been that good really. I know there's the Dwight Howard phase and stuff, but in recent years, it's kind of like, oh. I think there's a real thing as well, and I, I talked, um, we talked in the Discord a little bit about it, where there's the Knicks uh, and now the Nets and stuff get it as well, where there's there's a definite, like, holiday uh, in America thing going on there. Miami as well, where yeah. people are often drawn to places they've physically been, and because of Disney World, a lot of people have been to Orlando, so... Um, the magic. If if Orlando, if the magic were in um, Albuquerque, there, there's probably a lot less uh, fans in this country. I would speculate. So, one thing I wanted to ask as well is, when you heard the news, um, Kawhi was leaving the Raptors. Um, what did you think, and did you hold a grudge? Absolutely not. I for me. He, he came to a place which for a lot of NBA players is not the ideal place to go. I know we've said how Toronto has grown and the Raptors are a better organisation, but he came, he didn't sulk. You know, I don't think a single NBA fan says he didn't give his all. Some of the performances he pulled out in that series were unbelievable. There's always going to be that iconic shot. So for me, there's never a grudge there. And I'm possibly in one of the small minorities that thinks he probably should have his jersey retired even though they played one season interesting that is a big um yeah that's an interesting debate i don't do i have an opinion on it i don't think i do um yeah it's difficult as well with a with a young franchise like that the like best player on the only title team kind of does make sense even though he played one season there's also an argument to be made i think that looking at his Injury, injury record, record that, that season, season may be his kind of last true prime season um just based on health and his ability to stay on the floor um he kind of he looked okay last year in LA but we haven't seen him since so and it looks like he's gonna miss the best part of this season so yeah it's an interesting one and obviously 
a player of that level demands a huge salary. So yeah, maybe it's yet to be seen, but maybe the Raptors, it wasn't the worst thing. It wasn't as bad as it could have been, I think is what I'm trying to say. Um, anyway, the, the only extra thing for me was, the only thing that slightly jerked me is how long he took to make his decision. Because mm. then that meant we sort of lost out on recruiting other players, but he won as a title, so who, who cares? So let's get to the present day then. Give me your overview of um, how, how you've thought about this season so far. I, for me, I think it's been a, a joyous season. I think looking back on last year, they weren't they weren't home. They were having to play out, you know, down in so not Miami, whether they were somewhere in Florida, um, playing down there. See, that's the thing. As a Raptors fan, forgotten about it. Can't remember where they played. Um, so they're back home now. The team feels more joyous around it. it doesn't seem there's a few rumours about infighting when they were in Toronto. It seems more settled. The, you know, the, we've got a great crowd there in the Scotiabank Arena. It's just, it, it feels like, a, and actually the team are playing better than I originally thought they would. I was slightly worried with some of the signings we made that we might have one of those seasons where we have great games and bad games. I'm still worried about that centre rotation, the fact we still haven't filled the position and our biggest guy on the team is 6'9", which is not great in the modern NBA. Um but I've loved it. It's just just having them back home, sort of when you tune into games, seeing all the fans there, loving it. The team is playing a great style of basketball, very high paced, very high sort of end to end sort of basketball. So it, it's been sort of great watching the Raptors again this season. And it's unavoidable to uh, not talk about um, Scotty Barnes. How, how have you felt about that player so far? To be honest, I owe that man an apology. I was one of the ones on, I was sort of reading bits going into the draft and we thought we were possibly going to get Jalen Suggs and I thought, yes, we're going to lose Carolari, let's get that primary guard in. You know, we've got our wing position sorted and it's like we're selecting Scotty Barnes and everyone kind of went, uh, yeah, good player, but is he what we need right now? And he has come in and just set the world alight. I'm happy to see in today's NBA rookie the ladder, he's back to number one. I think that's partially with Evan Mobley's injury. But he it looks like the sort of guy where he could carry this franchise for the next decade and a bit. He, he plays both sides of the ball. He's not scared of anyone. That, that game against the Nets showed the way he was playing against Harden and Durant. Clearly, he's here to sort of prove himself. And it's also the fact he's been scoring so efficiently, which was what people said he might be his downside was. He might not be able to score, and yet he's been scoring not only at the basket, but actually his three-point shot hasn't looked that bad. So as a rookie, I I owe him apology because I was sceptical to start with. He's completely won me over, and I hope he is a Raptors for life. And, yeah, I had an interesting experience with Scotty Barnes, actually. I was out in um, Greece for in a previous job when I, I worked for Fever Media and I was it was the under 19 World Cup and he was playing for the USA team in that tournament this was three years ago now I think and interestingly Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham, um, a load of the guys um, now in the NBA in this class were all on that team and he was definitely not the most talented player on that team at that point I would have put him I don't know, seventh, eighth, maybe, just in terms of talent level. But the thing you couldn't avoid noticing um, 
even at that point was he was by far the most competitive um and so i i've always i that kind of stuck in my mind and i was interested to see how he developed as a player because even um talking with some people around the team there was kind of like uh, some uncertainty around like what level he was going to end up at. And then seeing him in college where he became a point forward was already like such a huge step forward um, talent wise from what I'd seen even one year before that um, to now what we're seeing in the NBA. This is like a rapid, rapid improvement over the last few years. So his trajectory could be insane is uh, kind of what I'm going with there. Yeah, I think I think having OG there as sort of a mentor, I think they're quite similar builds has been a massive help for him. Just sort of someone to sort of take him and show him, right, I was possibly a similar player to you coming into this league. This is what I've done to improve my game. And then sort of that has possibly allowed Scott to hit the ground running. The other guy I want to ask you about is because I absolutely love his game and I I just never see anyone talk about him, basically. But I, I think Fred Van Vliet is one of the most underrated players in the NBA, probably. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I, I, I think, think it'd be interesting. interesting. He, he, he could, could have easily, easily become, become almost like, like a Robert or, or a Steve where you see him, him being on multiple, multiple championship teams. Because, because I can imagine, imagine a coach, coach, he just, just, just does everything he wants. So hits the three ball, ball well, you know, works hard, defends well for his size. Like we saw what he did in that finals, he was just chasing Curry around and around and around without stopping. And I think you're right. I think he he does get underrated because he's maybe not that an elite sort of um, primary ball handler. What you would want in your team, I think, if you at the right price rang up every single GM in the league right now and said, "Do you want Fred VanVleet?" I don't think you'd find many that would say no. What I love about him as well, I don't. I honestly don't think he really has a flaw in his game. Um, he's never going to be like a top ten player in the NBA or anything. But like, I like his defense. He, he's uh, sneaky. He steals the ball. Yeah. Like, he, he shoots it as well as nearly anyone. I like. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, Fred VanVleet. And as I say, I just never hear anyone apart from Raptors fans talk about him. So, um, one of the things that was a little bit of a concern at the start of the year was the. Um, absence of Siakam. Um, he's now back in the lineup. But one thing that was interesting to see was that actually provided OG Ananobi, London's own OG, I should say, uh, with a bit of a chance to shine more. What what have you do you think this is going to be a career year for him? Oh most definitely. I think I think what's the key for OG this season is that we could we always knew he could sort of score and we knew he had the, you know a good shot on him and his no one's ever doubted his defending his defensive skills, but the, the problem for him was always his movement and getting from point A to point B. And he seems to have just gone away this off season and has just practiced on his handle so much. You can see it in his game the sort of confidence he's got now. He's sort of initiating a lot of the offense more. He's bringing the ball up. He's willing to take people off the dribble, and it seems to have locked all the other areas of his game that he'd already had. So I think he will have a career year. Is he going to be in the most improved conversation? I'm not sure if his numbers have made a big enough jump in terms of that, because often that goes to someone who's made a massive point scoring increase and he's, he's, he's gone up, but whether it's enough, I think he should possibly be on the shortlist. Um, he was possibly going to be my pick and I kind of went with Kuzma because I thought Kuzma was going to have a bigger scoring impact to start the season, but 
OG has, I'd say, has been our best player this year. And uh, we've kind of talked about a lot of them already, but what I really like on the um, Toronto team is also just the the combination of those long, versatile forwards in Ananobi, Siakam, Barnes, Gary Trent Jr. Defensively, that's really interesting how switchable all those guys are. Um, So before we move on, the last thing I want to ask you about is what on earth is going on with Goran Dragic? He, He keeps tricking me in... Uh, I actually did pick him up on my fantasy team the other day, and then he was immediately out of the lineup again. What is happening with him? Uh, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure. I was quite happy when we got him in the offseason because I thought him coming off the bench, I think he's a great player. I think anytime anyone watches FIBA Drogic, you just know what you're getting there. I think even the last few years with Miami, he's been brilliant. I thought him there with a lot of the younger players we had would be sort of a good sort of role model and I think he is possibly still being that mentor figure off the court it's just clear that him and the front office and Nick Nurse have had some conversation about his long-term future in um, Raptors I highly doubt he finishes the season there but I think you will see this happening quite a bit like the other night uh, I think it was against Detroit where he will just randomly start and he will play 28 minutes and he'll prove he's still a good NBA player and keep his value high and then whether it's through buyout or whether some team gets quite desperate to the point where they are willing to give up something for him I think you'll probably see him move on but I credit to him and there's a lot of players that would pout and maybe make a bigger deal of it and demand to just be out immediately he seems to be happy just to sort of bide his time be a, but looked, I think, a great mentor and then play when he's asked of him. He's a brilliant professional. Yeah, uh, yeah, big love in for Dragic, agree. Um, so all of the sections of this pod with the Raptors in mind are, name, are named after quotes from Jurassic Park, the movie. So that, finish, that concludes our welcome to Jurassic Park section. And now I'm moving on to a section I have named Big Men Find a Way. And Where I'm going with this is one thing I've been interesting to kind of see is the first story that seemed weird about this season was notable players dropping off in stats, in shooting, and was it the change in refereeing and uh, defenders being allowed to play more physically and all the rest of it. But whatever it is, we've also seen an uptick in the performance of a lot of traditional uh, big men. And... What I'm curious about is whether this stays and if this is an actual trend to monitor and whether the old school big man, actually the kind of um, the value of them as an asset in a roster actually kind of gains a bit from where it has been the last few years, where it's kind of like an all time low for the last five or so, maybe even longer years. So in terms of like to make this a bit more tangible, I'm thinking of like... um, Okay, I've said traditional, but I'm going to start with someone not that traditional, Porzingis. But he's had some real down years since leaving New York. And the last, like, six or seven games, let's see if I can just bring up his, like, uh, game log, because it's nuts, compared to what they were getting out of him previously. And um, a lot of people were cynical about Jason Kidd actually saying um, they were going to get more out of him. Uh, but yeah, last games, 29 and 11, 32 and 7, 22 and 12, 12 and 8, 21 and 7 since coming back. Have you seen a lot of uh, Porzingis games? What have you thought about him? I think it's, I was, when I was sort of 
before the season listening to podcasts, I think someone made a, quite, a good point about Pozzinger. So this is like the first off-season in a while where he's managed to come into the season not carrying a major injury as such, and that's probably allowed him to get his feet under him. I know he's had a few niggles to start the season, but I think it's possibly a season where he's just finally settled in Dallas. I think with all the injuries, he's possibly feeling a bit more confident about his, his body, and then maybe just a different coach was what he needed. Maybe, I think, possibly him and... Um, I've gone blank on his name now, but now in Indiana. Uh, Rick Carlo. Rick Carlo, sorry, yeah. Um, didn't possibly didn't get along and you know maybe just a slight change of schemes helped him i think you know he's now becoming that co-star that Doncic needed which i think we can all be glad about because i think majority of fans love luke and hope we get to see more of him in, in the sort of playoffs um but he's starting to do all the things he promised earlier in his career which as is great to watch great to see you know he'll score he'll rebound he'll block a few shots and he's quite a fun player to watch because not many people his size can do the things he can do. And then let, let's talk about um, the old school bigs who are looking good this year. So I, off the top of my head, I picked out Valanciunas, Stephen Adams, uh, Rudy Gobert, who's to be fair, he's good every year, but uh, Jarrett Allen um, looks incredible. Uh, DeAndre Ayton having another amazing year. Did, have any of those in particular stood out for you? I think... The one that 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 list for me is sort of Jarrett Allen. I think the sort of performances he's putting in Cleveland is the reason why the Cavs to start the season have been better than a lot of people expected. He probably won't get the credit for it, or he's, he's getting the credit for it on the on the show. But I think if people were to say, "Well, who's the best player on the Cavs?" I think a lot of people would sort of bypass him or even forget about him, and he sort of anchoring that defense. With you know Evan Mobley alongside him, I think has allowed sort of that Cavs team to finally have a decent backbone where their smaller guards now can then go forward and sort of sort of carry the team a bit more. And especially when they bring in someone like a Ricky Rubio, who we've seen what he can do to team. You know he was there in Phoenix, what he used to do when he was in um, when he was in Utah for a little bit, and what he originally did for Timberwolves. He's just great at when you give him a decent role man. He will sort of find those little pockets and then sort of. Even if it's not Jared Allen, you know, getting the baskets, it will collapse the defence a bit and then they'll sort of be able to move the ball better. And it, it's interesting you pick Allen and mention Mobley as well, because that's something else that I feel like we're starting to see a little bit more of is we went real small ball for a number of years and now there are, the Lakers won a championship going big and um, the Bucks last year are obviously a pretty big team overall. And we are seeing teams play like two bigs together more and more now. So um, what about uh, Valanciunas, who as a Raptors fan, you saw a lot of. Um, he's actually like playing as well as he ever played in the NBA uh, this year. Yeah, I think it's it's not surprising that he is considering that physicality has gone up. I remember actually when the Raptors won, there were a small portion of Raptors fans online posing the question, should he get a ring? Considering he was there for more than half the season and had been a sort of Toronto for all his career up to that point. I disagree. I was like, he wasn't there for the playoffs and that's what counts. But mm. I think I think, I think, think he's carried a lot of momentum in from last year where because Jared Jackson Jr. was out, he got a lot of playing time. He was basically the second best player, if not the best player on that um, Grizzlies team and I just think that guys like him, Valanciunas, Stephen Adams, Gobert, I think 
that extra bit of physicality that's going on. And I think, bear in mind, a lot of those on your list will have grown up in FIBA basketball, like, same with Paul Zingas, where actually it's the sort of the shrunk three-point line, everything's a bit more towards the pain and there's a bit more physical. I think this is why you're seeing some of these players come alive because it is maybe slightly more to what they grew up with. Yeah, that's a really good point. I've even thought of that, about that, how it actually yeah makes the NBA play style a little bit more similar to European basketball. There's actually um, the great shout in uh, the Twitch chat from Richard uh, Richard Hunt as well that Miles Turner also uh, been really good this year. Yeah, he's he's one of those that you know he's in trade talks all this year because he's got that nice contract because he'll do so much for you. He's one of the few <clears throat> sort of true settings in the NBA who can get you two plus blocks and then also hit a few threes for you. If you look at that list, it's probably him, Paul Zingas, if he's firing on all cylinders, and Anthony Davis, maybe. Oh, sorry, and Embiid, can't forget Embiid and Jokic. So that, I mean, that sort of that second tier of centers. Like yeah, and, yeah. I, in this conversation, I wasn't even including Jokic and B because yeah. they're going to be amazing, whatever the rules and play style. Um, even um, I'm trying to think of people I've even left off this list. Now I'm looking at some stats. Clint Capella, Yanis, um, yeah. again, in that first group that is going to uh, be amazing Cass, anyway. And finally, Cat's playing as well, which is good. He's rebounding a bit iffy, but he's back playing and seems to be enjoying his basketball. So that's great to see. So he's a bit of a big man there's resonance and okay moving on to uh, a fun section now which i have titled again in the spirit of jurassic park daryl morey was so preoccupied with whether he sh- whether or not he could he didn't stop to think if he should and where i'm going with this is ben simmons remains a 76er he remains not playing and the Sixers remain um, as keen as possible to find him at any opportunity. What's your take on this strange and awkward scenario in Philadelphia? I think Ben Simmons needs to be advised slightly better from his camp, from Rich Paul, and it's clear he doesn't want to play for the Sixers, and we get that. But I think he's got to play the NBA game, as it were, in terms of he's got to turn up, he's got to engage better with the team doctors. I have no doubt that actually, yeah, what he's been through in the last six months is having some effect on his mental health, and I think we all have to take that quite seriously with him. But he's got to be, he's got to show to be helping himself before I think this situation can progress because if he is seen to be almost not engaging with the team and their doctors and sort of doing the things off the court that needs to be, I don't see how this season, one, he'll play for Sixers, or two, any team would be willing to trade for him. Yeah, that's what I, this is what I find really interesting now. Um, And yeah, I I completely agree with what you said as well about... um, his mental health and how it's it's kind of I don't think you can argue, you can make a serious argument that being in this kind of scenario where the fans of the team you play for are like posting on social media the kind of stuff they're posting and going on radio shows that you're around and like 
it, it feels like your public enemy number one. That's gonna that's generally gonna have an impact on you. Um, no doubt about that. Um, but if I can remove that human element and just look um, at kind of the business side of it, Daryl Morey now has like an unquestionable uh, depreciating asset in Simmons. In uh, he he's kind of like you can't deny he's one of the best defensive player perimeter players in the NBA. Uh, he can switch onto almost anyone. Um, he can basically do everything on the basketball floor apart from shoot. Um, and he's had these odd um, mind blanks almost where he just doesn't want to even score even. So he's had some strange elements, but Daryl Moyes on the record now is saying like he's not going to trade him unless he gets like a top 10, 15 style player in return. But it just seems increasingly unlikely that's, going to happen at all because the the way i look at it is um and this is not coming from my experience this is coming from lots of people i've either talked to personally who uh work with nba teams on the daily basis and they always talk about how risk averse um staffs of nba teams are in how they draft in uh free agent moves and stuff because when it's your job a lot of it is not only about um kind of maximizing your chance of winning it's also about not getting fired and if you're the one nba team that is going out on a limb to um kind of pull it pull in ben simmons when no other nba team has seemingly wanted to that's very risky because you're if it doesn't work out that's a lot that's a big risk you've taken and it will look very stupid potentially if you make that move, you trade one of your best players for Ben Simmons and then it doesn't work out or he has an issue with the team or anything like that. So I'm fascinated to see how this develops because both sides seem completely adamant they're not budging. And it seems like Ben Simmons isn't going to be earning hardly any money this year if he's just not going to play and the six is going to fine him constantly. That spirals into him becoming more frustrated and have more issues with the team and be more determined not to play. So I, I've i never quite seen anything like this. Yeah, I think it's it's a very weird scenario. I think also Ben Simmons could be quite careful. I know when it, the original rumours came out in the summer, he apparently created a list of places he wanted to go and a lot of them did seem quite California-based. And I think he's got to realise that this is not how it might work in the NBA. He could, and no offence to them, end up in Indiana because that's been around a lot. And I doubt Indiana has the same nightlife as California. So I'm just going to out there. Elliot's in the uh, Twitch chat as well. And you, Indiana really is the punching bag of uh, UK basketball fans, I have to say. Everyone hates Indiana. It gets all the disrespect. Carry on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but so I think he's just got to be careful sort of what he's hoping for. And that's what I think, you've got to remember, he's, he's, he's only a young man. I doubt he's much older than me. And young men with a lot of money sometimes make stupid decisions. And I think it's, at some point, someone needs to properly sit him down and ask him, what do you actually want? Because I don't think he's actually clear what he actually wants and where he wants this to end. And like I said, I just don't think we've ever seen anything like this. And the whole him turn up to training and not, doing anything was weird. I think he thought in his head he was like Jimmy Butler in Minnesota and it just didn't go that way. So I, I 
yeah, I don't know how it ends. I don't think we've seen anything like this. But I hope it comes to a calm resolution soon for everyone involved because it's not nice to see. It's not what we're talking about on an NBA show. Yeah, agreed. And on that note, let, let's move on. So this is uh, potentially my worstly name. Worstly isn't even a word. My The worst named segment of this podcast where I, this is really tenuous. So this one is called they're learning where they fit on the food chain. And where I'm going with this is uh, we've had enough games to have some way too early MVP favorite picks. So who do you have in the conversation even? I'm not going to throw a number. It could be like five, six, seven. Who, Who are you even putting in the conversation at this point of the season? And we may have lost Ben. Ben, you're back. Apologies, Microsoft decided that halfway through the call, they would kick me out of it for security reasons. So I well, I feel far more secure as a result, I have to say. I Did you... Did you get that question or shall I repeat uh, it? Please repeat it. Okay, so basically, who are your MVP? Who's in the MVP conversation at this point of the season for you? I'm looking for like five, six, seven, however many. It can be quite broad at this point. Who who deserves mentioning I, in this conversation? I think there's one runaway. I'll leave him to last. And then I'll, so I'll start by naming a few sort of a, around the table, as we say. I think you've got to give credit for Paul George, what he's done with the Clippers, keep them afloat. I feel like there should be someone on the Phoenix Suns getting something, but I'm not sure who, because they all kind of chip in. You've got to give some love to Durant. I think it's clear. The more seasons that occur, it's clear how brilliant he is. Yanis is still being Yanis. Um, but then I think the one clear one that's standing out for me, it has to be Steph Curry. I, he just is... Amazing. I think the, the best line I've heard about Stecker in the Warriors, I can't remember who wrote it, it was in that big book about that Warriors dynasty, also heard on a podcast, is the fact that Warriors have weaponized joy. And that's what it is like to watch <clears throat> Steph and those Warriors. It is just, it is joyous basketball. It's fun. But it, but it's correct basketball. It's movement. It's, it's, it's shooting. But then they do attack the rim and it's and, but then they do defend on the other end. It's it's just really good. So for me, it has to be correct. And then everyone else is sort of bringing up the rear. You didn't mention Nikola Jokic. I didn't mention. You're right. I did not mention Nikola Jokic. I think yeah. Sorry, he also. That's yeah. It's weird to think he is last year's MVP, and yet he not a name that immediately jumps to mind. I think that's possibly just because of. Denver not having Jamal Murray this year and sort of some of the other things, Michael Potter Jr. being out, I think you kind of just forget about Denver a little bit. But he's definitely, you can't, if you look at his sort of, he's doing night and night out and leading that team and sort of keeping them afloat. Yeah, you're right. He should probably also be in the conversation. Yeah. And the only other one that I'm trying to form my own opinion on, and it's actually two guys who, 
kind of take away from each other because they're on the same team. And that is um, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, who at this point of the season, Chicago is like a different team from last year. And both of them have been incredible. Um, but they'd obviously split the votes between them because they're on the same team. But at least at this point, I thought it was at least worth saying their names. Um so I, th- I think you made it pretty clear who your pick is, is uh, Steph Curry. I am not going to argue with you, but I'm curious to see, because if Steph Curry keeps up how he's playing now, it's one of the all-time greatest NBA seasons. Um, and you just can't argue with that. But I also think Kevin Durant is so consistent that if Curry has a dip at all, I think Durant will be right there or thereabouts anyway, because he is every year because he's that good. Um, so I feel like, yeah, that Curry has to be the favourite, but I think Durant is probably second for me right now. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Okay, and so let's get on to my favourite part of the podcast. Kurt, if, oh, we don't I have a soundbite, do we? Make silly nonsense. Glad we didn't lose that. We, we lost a few things today, but we did not lose that. So, because we're talking about the Raptors, and I like dinosaurs generally, in your opinion, does anyone from the world of basketball, past or present, strike you as visually looking like an actual dinosaur? Just to be clear, you must name the specific dinosaur that the person you choose resembles. So, this is very, very random. I You sent these notes ahead of time. I looked at the question and the first player that popped into my head, and I don't know why, it was Sean Bradley and I think he looks like a Brachiosaurus. Interesting. I think it's and, because he's long and limmy. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, yeah, I think all of those guys in that like height bracket are dinosaur-esque. So the Muasans, the Bradleys, the Yao Mings, yeah. just the sheer scale of them as human beings is... Um, is something. But I I think that the main correct answer, and you already mentioned him in the pre-show, is Chris Bosch. Chris Bosch is he's is an actual dinosaur. The fact he played for the Raptors was incredible. Um he looks like a diplodocus. Um you can't get around it. Uh, he looks like one in particular as well. There was when I was a kid, there was a animated movie called The Land Before Time. And there was a Diplodocus character who featured in that, who was basically Chris Bosch. Um, so, yeah, I've thought about that way too much, but there it is. Um, I also, I always thought Patrick Ewing was a little bit dinosaurish, just like something about he's a strange shape as a person. Um, and yeah, he, he was a little bit dinosaurish. Elliot says uh, Scotty Pippen looks like a pterodactyl. Yeah, that's. I that is in, that is an incredible shout actually. I can see that immediately. He's got the like um high cheekbones and like long nose. Yeah. It was it, it in 2011 I was googling for this. In 2011 actually uh, Bleach Report did an article on NBA players that resemble dinosaurs. And one of wow. the clicks was uh, I don't remember the center Nene Nene was it? Hilario Nene, Nene the Brazilian guy. Yeah. He looks a bit dinosaur-esque. They said um, Carlos Boozer didn't look like a dinosaur, but most certainly sounded like one. <laughs> um, and then they also did mention Chris Bosch as well. Yeah, I like that. 
if if, uh, if you're listening to this uh, and you have an NBA or WNBA or someone from the world of basketball who looks like a dinosaur, please do let us know because I always want to know. Um, so uh, let's do a little fantasy update. So let me bring up the standings. This is the point at which I remind you that Ben's team is currently undefeated. So talk to me about your team. Um, you must be pretty happy. To be honest, I am shocked because my first pick in the draft was LeBron and he has hardly played whatsoever. So I didn't think I'd be doing as well as I have. I'm quite lucky the fact I picked up Scotty Barnes and he has well outperformed what people expected. I've got DeJounte Murray, who has been stuffing the stat sheet. You have Kawhi Leonard as well. This is nuts. And I do. I I was the person that took Kawhi very late in the hope he may return at some point. But I I've just I think I've got quite lucky. A lot of my players are just doing what I hoped, and it's sort of paying off. Um, but you've had yeah. a few over performers as well. Looking at your roster, with yeah. um, Dejounte Murray has been really really good this year. Uh, Stephen Adams, who we talked about, as being. Really good. Damian Lee is kind of overperforming what you'd expect from him in Golden State. Yeah. Well, that's, I think I'll, I'll talk about on the, on the night um, is I just try to pick players that targeted certain point groups and they've all so far done what I wanted. Adams has got those, you know, rebounds. Damian Lee's boosted my three point percentage. Um, Jonte's got those steals and stuff numbers. So I'm just somehow, even with LeBron being injured, have got away with it. And as you are one of uh, three still undefeated teams in the Double Clutch Fantasy League, you, this is your opportunity to go on record uh, how confident you are about winning the league at this point in the season. Not very, because there is a certain someone who in the fantasy realm shall not be named that hasn't started making trades yet, and we all know will start making trades at some point. Um, and so... Ask us when playoff time comes around. I see. And that person will remain will remain nameless, but may or may not be in the Twitch chat currently. No, all jokes aside, uh, Rich is a great guy. Um, but I, I think, um, I don't know, there's, there's too many good fantasy GMs there to say that I am a favourite or anything. One of the things that's been interesting for me the last playing last year and this year is... I've never played in leagues with so many teams and it's quite different because of that in that I'm used to like checking the box scores in the morning and thinking, oh shit, I can pick up that guy quickly because he's been injured and come back in. Whereas now literally every single player of any merit is already on a roster. So it's like basically trading is the only way of improving, uh, which I'm not used to. Yeah, so like for like you're right about that, because like the best player that is currently not injured that is available, if anyone would like to pick them up, is um, Delonte Wright from Atlanta. Shout yeah. out Delonte Wright. So let's move on to our Discord listener questions. So um, both these are from uh, Rich, actually, who we just mentioned. Uh, he asks, what are your thoughts on how teams are playing so far? What are some teams that have surprised you with how good they've been? And on the other hand, what teams have surprised you with how badly they've started? So let's try not to spend too much time on any teams we've talked about already. Are there any teams like we haven't really talked about that have stood out for either being particularly good or worse than you thought, maybe? 
hate to be a negative Millie, but one in particular has been and poor, and that has to be the Pelicans. I know they haven't had Zion, but you know they still have Brandon Ingram, still have some other good talent there. Nikhil understand the Walker, you know, have a good centre in JV. But who knows what's going on with Zion? You've seen what Lonzo's doing in uh, Chicago. So if to be honest, if I was a Pelicans fan right now, I'd be like, what is this team doing? So I have, um, I'm looking at the standings. And so in the East, I'm looking at, this isn't, it's obvious why this has happened in that they haven't been healthy, but the Bucks are six and eight. And they, it's not an area of concern, I don't think, but it's, uh, it's on my list of things to monitor in the next few weeks. And similarly for Atlanta, they had such a good playoff appearance last year that the fact they're six and nine sitting at 400 in 12th position in the East. Um, and obviously the East is actually a lot better this season than last season. Um, so there's a lot of, with teams like um, Miami are better, Chicago's obviously better, Cleveland's better. So it's actually going to be quite tough in the East. But yeah, those are two teams in the East I'm kind of looking at. Um, and in the West... Um, yeah, you've talked about the Pelicans already. That's a shame. I think one I'd... team maybe to watch would possibly be the Spurs. I think if, if you're a bit of a stats guy like me, their point differential isn't actually that bad. It's a very close to zero, which tends to be a good indicator of a good team. So they may be a team that floats a little bit higher and maybe sort of pushes for those playing spots. Yeah, and the other like really obvious one that's boring because everyone talks about it is the Lakers, who... Haven't looked great for the most part, but um, obviously LeBron isn't even playing at the moment, so there's not a huge amount you can say there. Uh, Timberwolves, they're just bad again. Um, I don't really know what to say about them. Like, should they move Cat at some point and try and restart properly? I don't know. Uh, possibly. Like, you've clearly got some there, something there in Edwards. So, yeah, I think the next step would be to say, look, maybe... Edwards cat isn't the right combo, but can we have Edwards and whoever and sort of see who would possibly want to take cat on? Yeah. And the second part of Rich's questions were um, specifically aimed at me because I'm a Knicks fan. So he, he asked me, um, what are my thoughts on the fact that over the NBA 75 year history, uh, at least one ex Nick has been on a team that has made it to the NBA finals. So I misread this the first time and didn't understand it properly. So, what I'm gleaning from this is that basically every year of the NBA's existence, a former New York Knick has made it to the finals, which is pretty astonishing. I'm not sure how that's possible in the first year, um, unless it's, yeah, well, I'm, I'll, I'll trust it's true. But um, yeah, that's a pretty astonishing record. Um but it's pretty anomalous as well. So uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Rich. I have no strong opinion on that fact, but it's a good fact if it is a fact. Um, games of the week to watch. Uh, I don't know if you've picked a game of the week. I've picked uh, Miami at Washington. I'm curious to see. Uh, I re- Miami are such a kind of veteran physical team. Um, I'm curious to see how this Washington team uh, stands up to that and if their run continues. That's on uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, um, half past midnight. Um, I don't know if you have a a, a game you're looking forward to watching this week. 
No, for me, I just sort of had those those eyes on that um, Mavs Clippers game, um, with it being sort of one a friendly time for the UK, but also we've seen that the Mavs and the Clippers over the last two years have some rather spectacular games. So I think that'd be a nice little sort of battle with sort of both teams in decent form. Is there anything in that matchup in particular? Because uh, as you say, it's the uh, it's eight thirty on Sunday, um, which is a nice. UK tip-off time. Is there anything you think people listening should be watching for in that game? I th- I think, as we talked about earlier, I think Porzingis could be an interesting one to watch because I, from well, my opinion is he's been a bit of a non-factor in the last two playoff meetings. In the bubble, I think he was injured for the majority of the games. And then this last playoffs, he didn't particularly stand out in anything. That's why he was getting some criticism going into this year. So it'll be interesting to see with that dynamic now, have the Clippers got the bigs to deal with someone like Pazingas, or is this this element now that Luca needs to sort of vanquish the Clippers, as it were, and sort of put themselves above that team? Yeah, and my um, thing to watch for is, uh, it's actually one of my favourite things to watch in the NBA generally currently, actually, is watching Reggie Jackson for the Clippers. He looks like he's either blindfolded or he's Robocop. Um, and I'm not sure which one would be better, um, but both equally awesome. Um, and he's actually playing really well this year as well. So uh, that is my thing to watch for in that game. And on that bombshell, our episode comes to an end. I'd like to thank everyone for um, watching live or listening back if you're listening afterwards. Thank you, everyone uh, who joined on Twitch in particular. It was a busy one tonight. It was lovely to see um thank you ben for coming on uh where can people find you on the socials um at ben at ben bean five on both twitter and instagram thank you to kirk for um producing the show as always and if you're listening and you do not uh, you're not a part of our discord or you don't follow us on twitter or any of the other socials at double clutch uk you can find us uh, do join discord it's a fun our discord it's a fun place um And don't forget, you can subscribe for free to our Twitch channel if you have Amazon Prime. It helps us out a little bit and it's free. So that would be cool. And uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, next Wednesday. I'll be joined by uh, a special guest. Episode 400 is a big one. Um, So yeah, please join us next week. And thank you very much. Bye-bye. Dodson. Dodson. We've got Dodson here.